go. Um, so thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us here at the Flashpoint Podcast. Uh, my name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. Uh, and today uh, I'm joined uh, by uh, Mohammed. Uh, sorry, uh, Mohammed Al-Safin, a senior producer at Al Jazeera's AJ+. Um, and he, he wor- recently worked on a video uh, celebrating uh, the life of a uh, journalist who was killed uh, in Palestine, Shireen Abu Abkay. Um And, uh, th- you know, that happened yesterday uh, in the Palestinian city of Janine. Um, she was shot in the head. Uh, it, it, I mean, all evidence strongly suggests that that was uh, a shooting uh, by Israeli uh, occupation forces. Um, she was clearly a member of the press. She, you know, you can see that, I mean, there are multiple videos. Uh, they are uh, pretty unsettling. They're, you know, they're pretty um, hard to watch. Uh, but they, you know, they do show that she was uh, clearly a member of the press. Um, and she was shot in the head uh, while while she was uh, reporting on the ongoing violence there. Um, as you know, I mean, if if you haven't really been following, and and obviously you know we'll get into this a little bit more. Um, there, the violence in Palestine has has been increasing. Um, it seems to me, kind of you know, fr- from an outsider's perspective, that. Uh, they kind of ramped it up a little bit as the Ukraine war started, uh, you know, kind of, you know, attention was focused elsewhere. Uh, so they kind of, you know, tried to push forward a, a, some of these, you know, uh, home demolitions. And, and you know, the, just these tensions have been rising for a long time. Obviously, anybody who knows anything about the occupation knows that, that this is a very uh, bad situation uh, where you have a very clear... Uh, a, a very clear aggressor and victim, um, and you know that that's that's what we've been seeing. And one of the reasons that we are able to you know kind of understand what's going on there, despite the fact that most Western media kind of obfuscates the reality of what's going on in Israel Palestine, is that is from the work of journalists like Shireen um, and other journalists, uh, especially at Al Jazeera, who have been doing a great job of kind of exposing uh the reality of the conflict and and showing that to people around the world including here uh in the west and so uh yeah i I think i think that kind of makes uh what's what's already like you know a horrible tragedy almost even worse that that we've lost this uh this voice but uh mohammed uh thanks for uh joining us um if you want to just unmute yourself and just kind of tell people like who you are and and your position with uh el jazeera Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everyone who's who's tuned in. Um, so I uh, I'm a senior producer with uh, AJ Plus, as Owen mentioned. Uh, for those who don't know, AJ Plus is uh, Al Jazeera's digital video uh, platform. Uh, we launched about seven years ago. So separate from the more well-known or more well-renowned uh, Arabic and English uh, satellite news channels, um, I am a Palestinian as well. Uh, I was born in Palestine. I spent Years of my life there, family still there. Um, so the story is is also, um, you know, uh, I, I was I grew up watching Shireen Abatman on television, and that's not a uh, that that's not a uh, rare experience amongst Palestinians of my generation. Um, you know, Shireen was a mainstay; she was an icon, and I think later on in the show, maybe when we can talk a bit about 
who she was and her significance, um, both in Palestine, but as a journalist as well, because this wasn't just um, any any reporter who was killed yesterday in Jenin. Uh, she meant a lot to a lot of people for many reasons. So we can talk about that uh, soon, I hope. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just, I just kind of wanted to start here just by kind of going over uh, the specific situation right now uh, in Palestine. You said, uh, so, so can you just tell people like where you're from, where you grew up, um, you know, like, and, and, uh, and, and also like when you left, because I think that it is, you know, in, important for the kind yeah. of perspective to understand the diaspora, because that is kind of part of the story and also part of Shireen's story as well. Yeah, I was born in the Gaza Strip. Uh, I was uh, born in a refugee camp, actually. Uh, my family, uh, my dad's family is all in Gaza to this day. Uh, we're not from there. We're from a village uh, in what's now become Israel. It was depopulated uh, and our family and our, uh, our neighbors were all uh, forced at gunpoint to relocate to Gaza. Uh, and we've been there ever since. Um, I, uh, my, my immediate family and I left Palestine uh, when I was when I was very young. I was about two years old. But we returned when I was a teenager, and I actually went to to college and worked there for, for a little while before leaving again in my early twenties, uh, about ten years ago. Uh, so that's kind of my uh, my presence in Palestine was was during those years, and it coincided. You know, I was born during the first Palestinian uprising in eighty eight, which began in nineteen eighty seven. Um, and I returned right after the end of the second uprising, which went on from 2000 to 2004. Um, so that's that's kind of my my connection to Palestine. I've lived in the UK. I've lived in uh, in Qatar. I lived in the United States for about half my life now, uh, and I'm in uh, based in DC now. Got it. Got it. And. Um... And, and you went into journalism, um, I'm assuming, to kind of not only to uh, not only because you have an interest in the work, but also, you know, to tell these kind of stories. Right. Like to, to, to kind of explain uh, the reality of, of what's going on in in parts of the world like Palestine. Would that be would that be accurate? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there was a sense, especially, you know, so there was a sense, I think, um, having grown up in in the UK and, and lived in the US for a while before returning back that um, I really wanted to help convey the stories of Palestinians to a Western audience. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I don't know how misguided that that's been, <laughs> but that was kind of the the initial um, motivation for me to want to get into journalism. There was a lot of great reporting being done day in and day out for years, but in Arabic. And, um, you know, Shirina Bakta was actually at the forefront of that reporting. She she told stories for years that shaped how I think most Arab people around, across the world saw what was happening in Palestine. Um, and, you know, there's a whole generation of us that are inspired by people like her to try and do the same to different audiences in other languages. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was definitely a motivation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, the, you guys both worked for Al Jazeera, and then obviously what 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 happened um, yesterday, uh, you know, her killing, um, almost certainly uh, by the Israeli forces, uh, a real 
I mean, a real moment of outrage, I think, um, you know, if we can talk about the political situation a little bit, like, you know, even, um, uh, you know, Western countries, which usually, you know, kind of take a, uh, I guess, kind of a hands-off approach, you could say, perhaps, uh, to this kind of stuff, have, have expressed outrage, I think, probably because she is a U.S. citizen, or that certainly helps. Um, I think that there's also, uh, you know, you can make an argument that the political situation has changed somewhat. Uh, you know, when Rachel Corey uh, was killed, um, and she was a U.S. citizen uh, as well, like not a journalist, but a but, but a peace activist, uh, there wasn't uh, quite the same kind of like international outcry. Of course, 2003 was a different time than it is now. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, th there, there's certainly uh, been some uh, some movement. Uh, Israel has, has walked back their initial assessment, uh, you know, just like uh, kind of knee-jerk blaming Palestine and Palestinians uh, for her killing, and now they say they're going to, you know, investigate to see, uh, you know, if and if if one of uh, their soldiers uh, killed her. So um, it does feel like things are a little bit different. You, you did a um, – you've, you've been doing some work on talking to people about what she meant uh, to them. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe talk a little bit about how her killing is being treated right now? Uh, in 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 media, especially on the West, where where normally you maybe you wouldn't have quite this kind of outrage. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. So um, let me let me talk a little bit about kind of what what made Shireen such an iconic uh, reporter uh, and, and kind of such a trailblazer as well. Um, Shireen was, you know, joined Al Jazeera's Arabic channel uh, in the 90s, the late 90s. Um, it's key to remember that at the time, Al Jazeera was probably the only um, satellite news network that was broadcasting that wasn't kind of, even though it was owned by the Qatari government, it, it wasn't run as a state TV propaganda outlet. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of uh, actual journalism being done admittedly outside Qatar. Um, but, um, and so it had a huge audience because up until then, um, you know, Arab, Arab audiences had very limited choices when it came to their media. It was just state television and not, not much else. Um, and Shireen was um, a reporter in the field at a time when it was rare, if not impossible, to see a woman reporting from the field. You know, where women were uh, involved on television, they were presenters, they were anchors, maybe they would go out to report on, you know, soft stories, cultural stories, never reporting on politics, never getting out into the field. And Shireen was a, uh, you know, she was reporting from war zones. She was reporting from the middle of violence. She um, was an inspiration to a lot of people. And I've heard from so many of uh, my colleagues family members, friends, uh, especially women who, you know, all kind of recounted a similar story that at one point in their lives as young women, they would grab a hairbrush, stand in front of a mirror and mimic Shireen's sign-off or, or a famous sign-off. That's the kind of impact she had. Um, the reporter who was standing next to her when she was killed, Shada Hanaisha, doesn't work for Jazeera Shorts for a different outlet, but they were out in the field together. Um, Shada was talking yesterday about how um, after Shireen was shot, 
she tried to pull her to her. She couldn't see the extent of her injury. She didn't realize she'd been shot in the head. Um, she kept trying to pull her to her, and every time she stuck out her arm, more gunfire would, would ring out. Um, and Shedda said that, you know, she never imagined something like this would happen because she decided to become a journalist when she was in first grade because she was inspired by Shireen and that she had a chance when they first met for the first time as professional colleagues to tell her that. There's an entire generation of journalists who kind of looked up to Shireen, who were inspired by her. Um, you know, even though she was a correspondent who saw, you know, countless atrocities, saw massacres, who saw killings, who saw uh, beatings, arrests, house demolitions, people being uh, forced from their homes, um, kind of saw the ugliest side of the occupation and reported on it day in, day out. It was never someone who kind of had a um, any any kind of ego about her in her reporting. She always very calm, always straightforward, always stuck to the truth and the facts, never embellished. Um, and it's easy to do so sometimes when you're in a situation like that. Um, you know, a colleague of hers who's been out in the field with her said that you watch her on camera, you see incidents where, you know, Israeli soldiers would be firing tear gas or stun grenades. And Shireen's only reaction would be a slight flinch or a little duck and then just carry on talking to the camera. And she said on camera, you'd think she was a superwoman, but she was human. She was scared. She never let that get in the way of her storytelling or her professionalism. Um, this calmness that she exuded, this, this um, kind of even-heeled uh, persona she had, despite what she was reporting on and saw, um it's it's very admirable you know even as a journalist i can tell you it's it's rare to kind of maintain that uh when you're in the middle of the action when you're in the middle of of violence and, and injustice over and over again um she yeah, was a pro like she was a pro it, yeah. and she was someone that despite yeah 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 she was she was a, she was a celebrity and she was famous for to a lot of people, but she never, never kind of carried herself that way. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to get that out there about about who, what kind of person she was and why she's being missed and mourned so much. Yeah, we've seen, um, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of, you know, talk about how Palestinians and and other people, you know, around around the world, around the entire world. Um, you know, are, are really mourning her in a way that is almost more like uh, even like a member of their family or like a close friend. Um, and you talked a little bit about that, you know, you, like uh, the, about the impact that she had. Um, uh, she, you know, she, she did, she did live there. Um, and she was obviously from Palestine and lived in Palestine. Um, I, I mean, was what, how, how do you kind of like how does that kind of connection uh manifest itself if, if 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 that makes sense like this kind of like feeling of um of close connection to a member of of the media um uh as you know for for, for palestinians who are hoping uh you know who who maybe have have felt like they've been uh left behind by media narratives for so long um and and can you talk a little bit about how people are reacting to her death right now? I mean, it, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but 
you know, what is what obviously, you know, you're in D.C., but, you know, I'm sure that you're hearing a lot about what's going on in Palestine right now. Can you talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about what, you know, what you guys are hearing from there and about how people are, are kind of mourning her? Yeah, I mean, uh, death is not a, you know, uh, an uncommon occurrence, unfortunately, um, in, in Palestine, especially at the hands of the Israeli army. Um, and there's a funeral every day. There's a there's there's mourning every day. But I haven't seen anything quite to this scale for a very, very long time. So, um, you know, Shireen... Uh, most Palestinians are, as I think most of you know, um, Muslim, and in the Islamic faith, um, burial is done as quickly as possible, usually after death. So a lot of times people are killed and buried almost immediately. Shireen is actually um, a Christian, and so her burial is scheduled for tomorrow, two days after her death. And what that's meant is that um, it's given people all over the West Bank the chance to kind of pay their respects in a way that we really haven't seen um for a figure i think the last time i've seen that that this kind of turnout was probably when yasser arafat died in 2004 which tells you kind of how significant and how um how beloved she was uh, as as a, as a as a person um you know she was killed in jenin which is in the northern west bank um she was mourned there people came to pay their her their respects she was then driven to nablus which is the largest town in the northern west bank where the same thing was repeated before reaching Ramallah last night. Uh, and then she was given kind of a, you know, what the Palestinian Authority called a state funeral, um, uh, uh, attended by the leadership of the Palestinian Authority with people from, you know, various leadership positions amongst Palestinians, but also the general public. Um, and now her, her body has been transferred to Jerusalem where she was from and the same thing is, is repeating again. I think tomorrow the plan is to have like a large popular funeral in Jerusalem and have people kind of walk from her house, uh, accompany the body to the graveyard. One thing that I think is worth pointing out is um, Palestinians have a very limited uh, scope for freedom of movement, even within Palestine. So a lot of times people who are from one city or one part of the West Bank or one part of Palestine uh, have difficulty traveling to another because of Israeli uh, roadblocks, but also Israeli, an Israeli system of control that determines where and where you can and cannot be. So um, there are, you know, there's like large scale memorial services being held in Gaza, which is only about an hour's drive from the West Bank, but no one in Gaza can actually reach the West Bank to take part in, 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 in her funeral there. Um, a lot of people in the West Bank can't travel for the final leg of the journey to Jerusalem. There's a checkpoint there uh, and they can't pass. Um, so I think you get the sense of both, you know, how how beloved and how popular and how much of a loss her loss is, her death is to people all over Palestine, but also kind of the injustice even in that, that even in mourning, even in trying to pay their respects. Um, there's a whole system of control, a whole matrix of control that prevents people from doing so. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think her funeral, like I said, her her funerals tomorrow. She'll be she'll be she'll be buried tomorrow. Um, I know the just before getting on, I was watching um, Al Jazeera and 
the reporting that the Israeli police have um, taken her brother in and, and kind of warned him that if things, uh, if things, uh, you know, if there's violence or rioting, as they would say, during the funeral, then uh, there will be police action to disperse the mourners. I mean, that's that's just that's obscene. They're just going to they're just going to harass her family. I mean, I believe that they I believe I saw a clip of them, um, uh, Israeli police storming her family's house like uh, shortly after she was killed. Right. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, they. they uh, yeah, they stormed her family's house and I think they were demanding that um, they they take down any Palestinian flags that were being flown around the house. Yeah, that's just uh, absolutely horrible. Uh, Maria, I see your call. We're going to take you in a, in a few minutes. I just want to talk uh, a little bit more here about, um, well, first I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the circumstances around her death. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, I know that you're here and you're not there, but I, but you know, you, you haven't, you haven't following it. Um, and so sure. can you talk about the significance of um, Israel kind of, reversing itself and actually um now promising yeah. to have an investigation now whether or not this investigation will turn anything uh is uh i mean we'll see but uh it, it, that does like in, in itself like the fact that they'd be willing to do that does seem significant is it, would you agree with that yeah but i think i think the significance comes from uh several factors that are kind of damning in, in of themselves one being that shireen was an american citizen and the U.S. government and and even people like Nancy Pelosi, who would usually never you know get involved in something like this, have come out with strong statements condemning her killing. Um, so I think that more than anything else is what's driving the Israelis to kind of be a little more circumspect than they initially were and a little more uh, forthcoming. Uh, and kind of like you see the setup now. You know, initially it was oh no, it was a Palestinian gunman who did it, and then it was well, it was crossfire, and now. The, the new line coming out from the Israeli army is we're investigating that it might have been one of our one of our forces. Um, so the, I, I don't want people to get too caught up in in the fact that the Israelis are changing their narrative a little bit because at the end of the day I don't think there's going to be accountability. Um, listen, Shireen is not the first Palestinian journalist to be killed by Israel. Um, I think I saw a count yesterday that she is the fiftieth five zero in the last 20 years, which is an astonishing number when you consider, you know, how, how the kind of outrage we see around the world when journalists are killed, rightful outrage. But the fact that Israel has done this over and over, I mean, it, there's there's definitely impunity there. Um, for those who maybe haven't seen the video, and, you know, I don't really encourage you to watch it because it's horrific, but you, you can see she and all the journalists around her were clearly, were wearing clearly marked press flag jackets. Or wearing helmets, uh, you know, the famous kind of like blue helmet and blue jacket of of the press. Um, you know, her her colleagues who were there said that the Israeli soldiers saw them, that they deliberately walked within the line of sight of the Israeli soldiers um, to let them know, you know, that they were press and they were standing there. And the thing to keep in mind is, Shireen and the people she were with are not were not amateurs. They've been covering this story dealing with the Israeli army for about 25 years. So she knew the protocol, right? She wasn't putting herself in a situation where 
she was going to get killed by someone accidentally shooting. She wasn't putting herself in between um, the Israeli army and whatever it was targeting. Um, there's a there's a very unfortunate tendency among some of our colleagues in the Western media to kind of try and balance out what they're seeing with their own eyes with what the Israeli army is, is saying. So if you watch the video, you don't you see not only Shirin getting killed, but then gunfire continually erupting every time someone tried to get near her to pull her away. So it wasn't an accidental shot. It wasn't, you know, one mistake. There was for several minutes they were being targeted. Um, the last words that she said was she had screamed out, they shot Ali. Ali was her producer who was shot in the back just before she was shot in the head. So again, it wasn't one accidental shot. It was a series of shots um, and uh, and they were pinned down when they tried to evacuate her and when they tried to get out by the gunfire coming from the Israeli army. The, the, the journalists who were all there said they saw the Israeli army, they saw the unit that was shooting at them. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what we can expect to see from the Israeli army. I, I doubt there will be any kind of accountability. I think they'll try to explain it away as some kind of tragic mistake. Um, but we've seen that in the past. You know, we've seen, you know, in January, there was a 76-year-old uh, Palestinian-American man who was arrested and left on the street uh, in the freezing cold and, and died at, of a heart attack out in the cold with his hands handcuffed and Israeli soldiers left him there. And I don't know if you remember, Owen, but there was a bit of outrage around the time and, you know, Ned Price and the State Department demanding an investigation uh, and, and nothing has happened since. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't put too much stock in the significance of Israel changing the narrative, around, the story around what it says happened. I think the fact that there's video and the fact that she was um, an American, unfortunately, meant that there's a little more pressure on them to come clean than there would have been otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just, just to actually, just to bring it back to Rachel Corey, just uh, for a second, and I'm, I'm not saying the two are comparable, but just because I did mention them earlier, um, you know, you were talking about how, you know, they might do an investigation and then say it was a tragic mistake. Well, that's exactly what they did uh, with Rachel Corey. And then like, you know, two years later, they were like implicitly bragging about it and using it to threaten uh, people who were going to come, uh, you know, to, to act as observers or, yeah. or to, you know, to, to take action. So, uh, like, like you say, like, it's maybe not something that we should really be sure. uh, yeah. putting too much stock in. I, I also, yeah. I, I also want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, you're talking about the other, other journalists who were, who were with her and, um, the one, uh, the one guy, I, I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but mm. you know, he, he was right, th he was right there with her. And if you watch the interview that he gave, uh, I mean, just, I think it was just like minutes after. Um, mm -hmm. you know, he is like obviously distraught, uh, traumatized by what he's saying, but like what you're saying about mm -hmm. them being, mm -hmm. you know, that these are professionals is a hundred percent true because even though, uh, he is so distraught and even though he's obviously been, you know, traumatized by watching this happen, like right in front of him, uh, he's still like, just like delivering the information. He's still on point. And I think that that kind of thing is, I mean, that, that shows like the level of professionalism here. Uh, however, sure. uh, despite this, right. Uh, Western media uh, have by Absolutely. and large. I and, mean, they, and, and, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So well, I, I guess what I was going to say. No, I think I think we were we that, were kind of yeah, leading to the same point, which is despite.
Yeah, despite the the incredible professionalism and and the seriousness with which these journalists take their jobs, um, they're they're not seen as as kind of a trusted source on something that happened to them. Um, you, you know, I've seen reports in the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, where the only reference to a um, the only reference that kind of to any kind of narrative that contradicts the official Israeli army narrative has been, um, you know, Israeli human rights groups. So, again, kind of privileging an Israeli perspective, even one that was critical of the Israeli government, you know, the Israeli human rights group at Salem kind of did a quick forensic on the ground investigation of the video that the Israeli army putting out, put out showing a Palestinian gunman firing down an alley and saying that was likely the person who killed Shirin. Um, you know, and just just using location data and someone on the ground to film the surrounding area showed that it was actually several hundred meters away around several corners and alleyways. So it was definitely not that person who, who killed her. Um, but the voices of the journalists who were with her, who witnessed her being killed, who were themselves shot was is absent. It's as if she died in in like a mysterious circumstances and there was no no eyewitnesses around and it, it's shocking and it's disturbing yeah yeah it's it's it, it i think shocking and disturbing is is right i mean um there's there is a uh and i'm curious to get you know to get your your opinion on this especially as someone you know who's from there uh this this passive voice uh, that is used when uh, describing uh, any Israeli attack on mm. Palestinians, where mm. where where the, the you know the Israeli army can't be seen as as an active uh, as taking an active role in killing yeah. anybody or hurting anybody, um, you know their 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 bullets strike people, but we never learned about who like shot them. And this is the same thing you know that of course uh, U.S. news outlets use for a long time. When talking about um, when 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 talking about uh, U.S. police yep. uh, shooting people, especially okay. black people, but uh, but but it, you know they they changed that a little bit. It did sound like they were getting better with that, but in this case, uh, they've simply continued to do that. Um, I, I I guess I, I guess my question is twofold. Like like one, uh, just kind of generally, what's how do what do you think about that? What do you think that is about? And two, like as somebody who's from there, I mean specifically, like, like what, like how does that make you personally feel? Because I think that that personal feeling is something that's kind of left out a lot when we do this media criticism, because we're just talking about like the like, like yeah. look at this thing as opposed to like, like here's how it impacts people. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the second part of the question. It's it's dehumanizing, you know, you you. It's dehumanizing, and it, it's it's to a point where you're you, you start to wonder, like as a journalist, is it is it worth it? Because we're going out there and we're telling these stories, and we're being ultra professional, um, and still being seen as less than, still being um, like our, our our credibility doubted, and uh, and then when we when we, when we when we're killed. Um, our own colleagues kind of don't don't seem to have the. Uh, I'm I'm trying to be very careful with my words here, but it, it's it's frustrating, and and I'm not quite sure. I know you've done a lot of media criticism, Owen, 
And I'm not quite sure what the motivation is for something so obvious. Because there are times when I, I almost understand as a journalist who maybe isn't an expert in the region who, you know, has grown up or or gets gets kind of a one-sided view of the story, depending on where you live, um, trying to hedge your bets and trying to be a bit careful with your language and maybe slipping that way into the passive voice. Um, but a lot of the reporting is being done by people on the ground who know better. Um, and I don't know if it's them or their editors back in the U.S. who are changing things up, um, but it's uh, it's extremely noticeable. And I think extra noticeable these days when you see um, how the death of Ukrainian journalists, for example, at the hands of, of Russian forces is covered. Um, it's done in a way where it's it's clear. The language is clear and precise and unambiguous. And it just makes you wonder why why it's not easy to replicate that for our stories as well. Yeah, and the same thing kind of goes, you know, I, I think that Ukraine has been a very a very good demonstration of this kind of double standard. Um yeah. where where you have you have a conflict, uh, okay, where one uh one actor in the conflict, the aggressor, uh, has has a lot more power, um, is acting mm -hmm. aggressively uh, towards a weaker power, uh, is, is mm -hmm. basically acting with impunity, with no accountability, um, and 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 is 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 doing horrible things um, in in the interest of, of seizing territory in a completely illegal way, right? Um, and then you have yep. uh, the um, the. Uh, the, the the people who are who are the victims of the attacks and um, you know there there are like uh, multiple different uh, political factions and uh, you know because you know it's just it, it's like and obviously the entire world world is like staring at this and but so like there, like there are a number of similarities here right and then you have okay so then you have uh, Israel and Palestine so you have again uh, an overpowered aggressor force. Uh, doing basically whatever they want with with impunity, no accountability, uh, uh, in in the interest of seizing territory uh, from uh, a victimized um, smaller force, uh, which which similarly um, is, uh, and I, I think this tends to be the kind of the thing that um, when uh, when when countries are invaded uh, or attacked, especially by stronger powers. Um, like there's there's a lot of political instability uh, that comes from that within the invaded country. Obviously, you know, like I'm uh, my family's from Ireland, so like we have uh, very uh, direct knowledge of this uh, from there as well. Um, and so I, I think that that is kind of you know one one of the things that happens here, uh, and that what we are watching happen with ukraine is that uh the way that the way that we the way that it's being talked about is that um, russia is being rightfully uh uh attacked uh in 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 the media for for their aggression uh and the ukrainians are being kind of held up as 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 heroes for their resistance and i think that there is like a little bit of um Maybe maybe a little bit of rose colored glasses in the way that they're being talked about, but but you know like like but mm. still like like there is you know like it is being it is, it's being very much presented as like a good and like good guys bad guys very black and white right um, while yep. you have 
okay, so then you have a situation like Israel-Palestine, and like not only uh, are the aggressors presented as as victims in in Western media uh, at least half of the time, um, the kind of rose-colored glasses that that they have towards the victims uh, in Ukraine is just like not applied uh, to Palestine. Like like they they hold the Palestinians and the Palestinian uh, yeah government and the Palestinian society to, to standards that are just completely unrealistic and, and, and unfair. Um, and, and like, even, but even if that was like the way that they were going to, if that was the way that they were going to treat every conflict, at least there'd be some yeah. consistency. But again, as I'm saying, like Ukraine shows that there isn't. Um, so that, that's kind of my soapbox rant, but I, I, I think that you would probably agree with that, um, that, that it shows this. Um, and, and that must be very frustrating, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, just just um, when when Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, and there's a lot of kind of valorization of of Ukrainian resistance to that invasion. And I think, you know, as someone who comes from a place that has been under occupation since before I was born, I definitely empathize with the feelings that Ukrainians have, the sacrifices many were willing to make in the in the face of a much stronger adversary. Um, and and kind of the sympathy that a lot of uh, Western media had for for people in Ukraine who who were doing things that you know made sense in the context of trying to resist an invasion, where it kind of kind of was like a mask off moment for me, was seeing a lot of journalists saying things like, "This isn't the Middle East; these are white people," or "This isn't Baghdad; this is Europe." Um, it just shows you how, despite all the gains we think we've made or assume we've made in our industry, um, the latent racism is, is very, very present, especially amongst a certain class of people in this industry. Um, but even things like, you know, the the willingness of a lot of media outlets to valorize things that Ukrainians were doing, you know, things like, um, you know, like breathless reports that kind of just painted the rosiest picture of people gathering to create Molotov cocktails um, well, made me kind of laugh, but in a rueful way, because this is the exact kind of stuff that's always being used to justify the killing of Palestinian teenagers, right? You know, they, they threw stones or they threw a Molotov cocktail at a heavily armored military vehicle. Um, that dissonance is is very interesting and i and i for a while i had to kind of like stop paying too much attention to it because it it was it was it, you know it was enraging um i don't begrudge ukrainians you know the, the right to to fight back what i think is interesting is how in the western media that's not seen as a universal right the right to resist occupation the right to fight back and the right to you know um the, the right to do what you feel like you need to do against a much stronger adversary is apparently reserved only for those that we consider our allies and not for human beings in general. Yeah, it's, it's quite, it's, it's, it's certainly quite frustrating, um, uh, to watch and, um, yeah, just the use of the passive voice for the aggressor, for the aggressive, uh, power is 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 just quite 
I, I don't know if even distressing distressing doesn't really sum up like kind of the the kind of anger uh, they can bring. I think up, it, but, I think um, more than, go ahead more than anything else. It's, yeah, I was just saying more than anything. Else, it was a mask off moment. It was like one of those things where you you take stock of where things actually are and you realize it's not as we haven't made as much progress as we think we like to think that we've made. So there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, we did. We did a show uh, on this with um, with uh, well, we, we've we've done uh, media criticism on this kind of stuff with, uh, with Sana Saeed, your, your colleague at, at AJ Plus, but also um, with uh, Imran Siddiqui uh, from Care Washington as well. He, he, he came on shortly sure. uh, after the beginning um, of the of the war just to talk about like uh, stuff like uh, I don't know if, if everyone's familiar with her, but uh, Julia Ayafi, who's this kind of self-declared expert on Russia has often made some pretty questionable comments about the Middle East um, and and has yeah. certainly uh, continued to do that uh, with this. Um, but I think that's a good place uh, uh, to end it there, you know, kind of talking about this media, this, this kind of, you know, just, and, and just very frustrating, but, you know, uh, it, it, it has been very difficult to watch uh, the way that it's been talked about and, um, and certainly uh, will continue to be. I, I, you know, I also want want to mention as well uh, that you know, Shreem was not the only uh, person uh, killed. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not going to completely uh, butcher his name, but this young, uh, this kid, sixteen uh, year old there, uh, Khalil Mohammed Maslat, uh, was killed in uh, West Bank city of Al Al I'm, I'm sure I'm like mispronouncing this stuff. I'm sorry. Um, but he, he was also uh, killed. Uh, uh, Defense for Children says uh, 10th Palestinian child shot and killed by Israeli forces in 2022. Uh, you know, this is an ongoing uh, atrocity yeah. and, and an on ongoing violence um, in this region. And um, it, like, like it's I, I think that it is. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, like, choose my words carefully. Like, I, I, I think the fact that. Shireen's death is attracting this attention and, and putting uh, this conflict back into the headlines. Um, at, at least, like, at least it's doing that. But but people should not forget that this is an ongoing thing. Like, this is continuing to happen. Uh, this is an apartheid state yeah. that yeah. Uh, that yeah. does this to to the people underneath under its thumb all the time. And so, um, it, it's yeah. it's it's been. It's been ongoing. Uh, so, Mohammed, thanks so much just, for joining us. Do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, you know, last thoughts on 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 the the killing of that young young boy that you mentioned um, in Elbira, which is actually my mother's hometown. Um, he was killed near a. Uh, so Elbira is 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 a is a small town, and right in the middle of it, there is an Israeli settlement um, on a hill. Um, and that Israeli settlement is called uh, Psakot. And for Americans listening in, you might be interested to know, um, the thing that Psakot is most famous for is that it has a winery that uh, named one of its wines after Mike Pompeo, uh, when Mike Pompeo was uh, the uh, Secretary of State under Trump. Um, so kind of as a reward for uh, the U.S. government's policies at the time. This, this winery um, named wine one of their products after him, and he went and they did like a little photo op where he's standing in the settlement that overlooks 
um, this Palestinian town drinking wine. Um, and just so we don't think that this is a, a partisan issue, that their um, Passover dinner a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, uh, the vice president, Kamala Harris, and her husband were serving wine from Sakot's winery as well. So that's where that near where that young man was killed yesterday, that young boy. Yeah, there's, um, you know, it is a a bit of a trope to say that, um, you know, there's no difference between the two parties and that they, you know, they agree on everything and like, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, certainly not uh, necessarily true, but uh, on certain, certain issues, they, they're, they're pretty tight. And I think that uh, showing like, like this is a good example of that, right? Where, um, where you, you just have like this crossover. Uh, because, yeah. and, and like, like, it's not surprising that like that they would be serving the same wine because like the, uh, they're, they're all, they're like, like, they're, like there is consistent ideological consistency to support, uh, the apartheid state there. So, uh, quite sorry about that truck going by. Um, so yeah, uh, well, uh, rest in peace to, to, to both and to, to all victims, uh, uh, of of the of the military occupation there. Um, so, Mohammed, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, can you tell people a little bit about where to find you, where to find your work? Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for the chance to to go on and kind of talk about Shireen and and a little bit about you know the the situation that she kind of died reporting on. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is the same as it is on Colin, M-A-L-S-A-A-F-I-N. I try my best not to tweet very often these days, but but I'm there. Um, but also follow AJ Plus on your social media accounts. We put out good content all the time. Awesome. Um, yeah, and if you're listening to this live or on replay uh, on the app and you have not already uh, subscribe and follow the show. Uh, please do so. If you're listening on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts, please follow, subscribe, rate, uh, do all of that stuff so that you can continue to get our stuff high in your feed. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody uh, for joining us, and we will see you next week. Um, signing off. See you later. Bye.